Hello, and welcome to the James Sheets Podcast. This podcast features the sermons and preaching messages of James Sheets, who pastored throughout West Virginia for many years. If you like what you hear, please subscribe and leave a five-star review and share a memory of James with us. Let's listen as Pastor James Sheets begins his message. Beginning at verse 31. And when they had prayed, the place was shaken where they were assembled together, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost. They spake the word of God with boldness. And the multitude of them that believed were of one heart and of one soul. Neither said any of them that aught of the things which he possessed was his own, but they had all things common. And with great power gave the apostles witness of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. Neither was there any among them that lacked. For as many as were possessors of lands or houses sold them, and brought the prices of the things that were sold, and laid them down at the apostles' feet. And distribution was made unto every man according as he had need. Joseph who by the apostles was surnamed Barnabas, which is being interpreted the son of consolation, a Levite, and and of the country of Cyprus, having land sold it and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let us unite together in prayer. We thank you again, Lord, for the privilege that we have to share in this service where we praise your name and lift you up and honor you in every way. May that which is spoken now be that which you have designed to be delivered in this congregation. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. A little background is necessary for us to understand the actual scripture that I read and I'll try to do it very briefly. We would have to do deal with the third and fourth chapters of the book of Acts to, to get it complete, but let me put it in a, in a nutshell. Peter and John were going to the temple, which means they were in the city of Jerusalem because that's where the temple was, for the purpose of prayer, three in the afternoon. And as they went along, there was a man that was a cripple, He had been a cripple all of his life since he was a baby, asking alms of the people who went by in order that he might support himself. And and he asked, as he would everyone, for Peter and John to contribute to his needs. These two men stopped and looked at the man and said, We have no money, but what we have we will give you. And Peter said, In the name of Jesus... Stand up and walk. And he did. He was healed. He went into the temple, of course, telling everybody about what had happened. And the Sadducees and Pharisees that were a part of the temple activities were inquiring of him as to how he was made whole and who did this. And they had quite a confrontation with the man as to how he achieved this quite remarkable recovery. The men of the temple called Peter and John and (coughs) criticized them for doing the thing that they had done and finally put them in jail for healing the man. 
The next morning they let them out and gave them a sound talking to and told them that they were to not do this anymore. I've heard those words before. Not only in the scripture, but we hear them daily it seems, that if a person's activities do not correspond to what we believe, people start saying, don't do that anymore, even though it's being done in the name of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Well, Peter and John had been in jail all night. They were let out and they were threatened that they would be punished. They would be horsewhipped if they did this anymore. And Peter and John went to church. They went to the people who were believers in Jesus Christ and told them what had happened. And it's interesting what the church did. The church did not go down to the temple and create a scene. They didn't cause a riot. They didn't uh, blockade the entrance to the temple with placards. They simply prayed. And if you will look in the 24th verse and some verses following, you will read, and we didn't do it this morning, the prayer of the church in this particular incident. The success of a church is located in this prayer. And there are two things contained within the prayer. And I'll go over them quickly because of some other things this morning that I want to say. Number one, their success was in their prayer life. And secondly, it was in their unity. And it is from this that I get the title of the message, Oneness. The scripture says in verse 24 that they were of one accord. They were of one accord in prayer. And herein lies the success of any church. We will not find success in the organization or in the numbers or in the programs or in the building or in the leadership of a church organization. The success of the church will be tied up in those two words, unity in prayer. And there cannot be unity in prayer, of course, until there is in unity in purpose in mind and heart and so on. But here was the success of the people. They prayed. And the scripture says down in the 30th verse, they did not pray to keep out of prison. They did not pray that they would not be persecuted. They prayed for boldness to continue preaching the word of God in spite of the affliction that was placed upon them. A key again to their success. Oftentimes we pray that we be left alone, that we have a nice, easy, peaceful life. And to pray that kind of prayer is contrary to what the Lord would have us pray. He is not asking that we be taken out of conflict, that we be taken out of difficulties. He is praying for us, and we're going to read the Lord's Prayer for us in a little bit, 
but the church prayed and the Lord prayed that we have boldness in the name of Jesus Christ to continue doing that which we believe we have been instructed to do. And verse 31 says, And when they had prayed, the place was shaken. When have you been in a church body when the place was shaken? I'll tell you the conditions that would have been present when that took place, if you've ever been there. And that is that the church was of one mind, of one heart, in one accord, in prayer. And in nothing else. When that attitude is achieved, we will find the Spirit of God coming into our midst and, and visibly and physically shaking us into action. We experience a little bit of that at times. And, and we are appreciative of it and we, we are enlightened and we go out of the church excited because we feel that we have been in, in the presence of the Lord and the reason that we can have that experience is that we are united, we are one. Until we become one, we cannot become the power of God. Sometimes our praying is an error. These people prayed and notice the place was shaken. They had instantaneous response from God. This prayer got top billing in heaven. It got top priority for response. It got an immediate yes from God. I will grant you what you have prayed for. Because they prayed properly. They were in unity and they had a purpose that was to continue preaching the, the word of God wherever they might go. Solomon was a great man of the Old Testament. He prayed on one occasion for one thing. God said, I'll give you whatever you want. What would you like? And Solomon said, I would like wisdom. Wisdom. He didn't say, I'd like money. He didn't say, I would like security. He didn't say, I would like a job. I would like a fine house to live in. I would like a fine chariot to ride in. I would like servants. He didn't say any of those things. That's the content oftentimes of our praying. We want the physical benefits of life to surround us. God doesn't hear and had Solomon prayed for all of those things, it would have disappointed God himself. But Solomon got wisdom, and it pleased God. So their prayer life was a power line to God because they were of one accord. They quoted scripture, if you'll read it in, the, in, the, in this particular prayer. They laid out their problem. This is one thing that we skirt around. 
If you want to have success in your prayer life, be honest with God. When you go to God in prayer, be honest with him. Tell him like it is. Don't flower it up and make it appear something glorious. Don't put a whole bunch of words into it. Be honest, factual, down to earth, and admit what the problem is. Now we might as well admit it because God already knows it. But he wants us to lay it out like it is. And then don't ask for an easy life, but ask for wisdom and boldness and power to serve God in the midst of our difficulties. In the midst of. Look at verse 32 now. We get down to the real meat, I think, of the message this morning. And the multitude of them that believed, notice how they were, were of one mind and of one soul. The, one, the word soul here can properly be translated, uh, a lot, I'm sorry, let me re-quote it, we're of one heart and one soul. The, the word soul in this case can be, can be properly translated mind. So they were of one heart and they were of one mind. This very seldom is achieved. Very seldom is achieved. The intent that God had for his church was that there be one. And how many hundred denominations do we have across this world because we can't agree on anything? We're not united. We say we're the people of God if we're Baptists, or if we're Free Will Baptist, or if we're Hard Shell Baptist, or if we're Church of Christ, or if we're Methodist, or what have you. Brethren, in heaven there is no word called denomination. We are people who believe in and serve the living God, who believe in the death, burial, and resurrection, and the coming again of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all of these other things make no difference. It's what is your relationship to the Son of God. He wants us to be of one mind and of one heart. I want to go back to John. I want you to listen to Jesus praying. John chapter 17. The entire chapter is the prayer of Jesus. Only I, we can't read the whole thing, but I want to call your attention to some of the things that Jesus said in his prayer life. John 17, verse 9. Jesus said, I pray for them. The word them, in this case, is the apostles, his followers, the ones that he was training. Now notice what he said, I pray for them. I pray not for the world. He was not praying in this particular incident for a single person to be saved. Did you notice that? He was praying for people already saved. For his followers. I pray for them. But, and, and I pray not for the world. But for them that thou hast given me. For they are, are thine. Alright over to verse 15. That's what he says. I pray not that thou shouldest take them out of the world. 
He did not pray that our life or the apostle's life would be made simple and easy. I do not pray that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from evil. Now you can believe that Jesus is sitting on the right hand of the Father today and he is having communion with the Father and he's saying, my children down there, those whom I love, those for whom I died, I don't ask that you separate them from difficulties, but I do ask that you keep them from evil. Don't let them fall into temptation. Verse 20. And here's an important verse when he says, Neither pray I for these alone. I do not only pray for the apostles, but for them also which shall believe on me through thy word. That's you and me. Jesus prayed for me right here. I pray for them that shall believe on me. Jesus prayed for me. And of course he prayed for you. And look at verse 21. But what was the content of his prayer? Here it is. That they all may be one as thou, Father, art in me and I in thee, and they also may be one in us. He prayed that his children be united. Did you see that? Not only united as a body of believers, but united with the Father and with the Son, that there be total agreement between the Father and the Son and His church. That's what He prayed for. Unity with the Father, the Son, and His church. Well, no sooner does unity start until it begins to deteriorate. As soon as a person is born, he begins to die. And so it is in the church. We have divisions of every kind. I stood the other day on the church property of a Baptist church in Logan County and talking to the superintendent of the Sunday school on a particular incident. And, and, but uh, it, it dealt with the physical building that he needed some help with. But our attention got around to talking about church differences and doctrines and I found out that his church was a, was a split off from another church that was a split off from another church that was, I mean where does it end we need to establish more churches but I'm telling you we don't need to establish more churches based upon a division a difference of opinion Last Friday night, we had a meeting of the Baptist ministers of our association here in our church, and, and our ladies, uh, ABW, prepared the meal, which, by the way, was an outstanding meal, and I had plenty of comments from the pastors and wives about that meal, and I thank you ladies for doing it. We spent over an hour and a half, we were still here at 9.30, discussing and I'll not get into all the things that we're discussing, we're discussing some problems. A comment that I made in that meeting was that, uh, well, let me give you a little background. There were a few people who were saying that we ought to all believe alike, which I basically agree with. But I said I would almost uh, guarantee, I'm not sure I'm giving you the, right, the exact words that I used, 
that the preachers of us sitting here in, in this or in this church that night could not agree on the doctrines that we say we believe. I do not think those, ever how many, nine or ten pastors that were there Friday night would agree to the ten most important doctrines listing in order. We'd never get to an agreement as to what those are. And I know fully, and I make this statement, that as I preach on Sunday morning, there are a bunch of you out there that don't agree with the doctrine that I preach. I know that some of you don't believe in eternal security. You have already made that very plain to me. And that's perfectly all right. I just happen to believe in it. Now, we already start divisions, you see, because we are supposed to, supposedly, all of us believe exactly the same thing. There is only one thing that makes us a Christian, and that is believing in the divinity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And all other issues are peripheral. And I don't suspect that I've got complete agreement even on that statement this morning. Let's quit fooling around with the differences of practice and concepts and how often we ought to do what and whether we ought to baptize face forward three times standing on your head or whatever other method churches might use and they use them all except standing on your head. I don't know anybody baptizes that way. We spend our time on all the issues that make divisions and we lose the central point of why we are church. And I think we ought to be able to sit down as Baptists and Methodists and Church of Christ and Catholics and all the others who believe in and adhere to the divinity of Jesus Christ as the Son of God and the Savior of the world and put whatever label you want upon us. Now, I'm a Baptist through and through and will always remain one. I want you to understand that. But I am saying we need to quit dealing with idiotic incidentals and deal with the issue, and that is that we ought to be together on one subject, and that is Jesus Christ. But what makes the divisions? Jealousies? Divided loyalties? I went to a member of my church home one time to encourage that person to come to church since they hadn't been there since I was pastor and the lady met me at the door and said I didn't join you I joined that other preacher and I thought I'm glad you joined him because I don't want you joining me <laughs> brethren we don't join preachers And when a person becomes such a devout follower of a man, he loses sight of the eternal God and the Savior that hung on the cross. We're not going to be united in our doctrine, but we certainly ought to be united in heart, united in the cause of serving Jesus Christ the best that our minds and hearts might dictate. And what causes unity? It's the filling of the Holy Spirit. That's what causes unity. And it's the lack of the filling of the Holy Spirit that causes discord. You'll find a church that divides and you'll find the absence of the Holy Spirit. 
You can't find the Holy Spirit and divisions in the same heart. One's going to be absent. What was the result of all this? Well, verse 34 and 35 says that the people were so united that they sold all of their possessions and brought the money and put it in a common fund in order that they might distribute of their means to those who were in need. They were so bent on serving Jesus Christ that they had more concern for their brother than they had for themselves. You talk about unity, it's in that that will achieve unity. When I've got more concern for you than I do for me, then I have achieved what the Lord expected. When you have more concern for your neighbor than you do for yourself, you have finally reached a plateau that's approaching uh, Jesus Christ. And if there is distrust and disinterest and bickering and fussing and feuding in the midst of any group, there is not going to be the concern and care for each other. And there will end up being divisions of some sort, but this church here in the book of Acts were united in that they were willing to be more interested in others than they were in themselves. They had one faith, one belief, and it was demonstrated in how they treated each other. I learned a long time ago Bill, you and I can stand behind this pulpit and preach all we want. But unless what we preach from behind this pulpit is demonstrated in our lives, in our daily life, we have lost our concept as to what our purpose is. And I say that that about the church, until we see our faith put together, united, and demonstrated outside the doors, we have not begun to accomplish what God put us here to accomplish. There was nothing in the scripture that says that they ought to have brought all of their money and laid at the apostles' feet and, and distributed from there. That's not required at all. They did it because they were more interested in each other than they were in themselves. Now, enter on the scene very quickly. A fellow by the name of Barnabas his real name was Joseph. The apostles called him Barnabas and it stuck. Simple two little verses. It says there was one of these guys named Barnabas who owned some property. He was a Levite. And he sold it and brought it and laid it to the apostles' feet. Why, pull, why call out Barnabas in all of this? And make an issue out of him or make a point of, of listing his name. Everybody else did it too. The point is, Barnabas was a Levite. Now, you're going to have to know your Old Testament a little bit here to follow this. Levi was one of the brothers of Joseph, of the twelve tribes. God identified the tribe of Levi, from which Aaron, and of course Moses was one of that tribe, but Aaron and his sons, who were the, uh, the descendants of Levi, became the first priests it was the law that God laid down that the priest family, those who served in the temple, were not to own property, but that they were to depend on their living from that which was given to the church. 
Now that's where we get paying a preacher type thing. Now, here was a man named Barnabas who was not supposed to own any property because he was a priest, but he did. And it's this point that the writer of Acts makes uh, use of here. Here was a man who saw his life out of relationship with God the way it was supposed to be and rededicated himself. This is the point as to why this story is given. Here was a man who was a believer in God who had accepted Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior but whose life was not right. We have revivals and most of the time our revivals are geared to winning the lost. Let me tell you what a revival ought to be doing. It ought to be bringing people who are already saved to a rededication of their lives to what they know they ought to be doing. We don't see that happening because we're all too proud to admit that we've sinned and fallen short, that we've been haughty and jealous and high-minded and fickle and have failed in our Christian life. We're not going to have a strong church until church people will recognize there is a need to rededicate themselves, perhaps more than once and maybe many times in their life, to a renewed life with Jesus Christ. Can anybody assume that all of us here this morning, every one of us, are right with the Lord? That our lives are being lived exactly the way the Lord would want us to live? And that nobody knows that there's a thing contrary in our lives? We're all perfect angels. Is that true? Well, of course, obviously, it is not true. How is your life, the way you're living, in relationship to Jesus Christ, whether anybody knows about it or not? There comes a time when we need to set things right between ourselves and our Lord. And there comes a time when we need to be willing to stand up and by a decision in our own life say to a congregation look I'm a Christian I'm saved but my life doesn't demonstrate the way I ought to be living I need to rededicate myself I need to get things straightened out and I'm willing to stand before a congregation and say hey that's me I'm changing my lifestyle Lay it before the church, exactly like Barnabas did, and start anew. Are we united this morning? There's a group of churches that call themselves the United Baptist Church. And you know how they're, they're united? It's interesting. I don't know why they took that title. They're a division off another group. The United Baptists are a division of free wills. Who are a division of somebody else. Division of somebody else. Uh, that's the way it goes. I'm not saying are we United Baptists. I'm saying are we united in the cause of Christ. Forgetting our differences. Forgetting our uh, opinions that may not agree with each other but standing firm and sure on one cause and one purpose, and that is that we believe in Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that he died on the cross for our sins. Is your life right with that person?
who died on the cross? Do you need to rededicate yourself to take a new start? Take a stand and say, I've been wayward and sinful, but I confess my sins before God, and I tell this congregation that I'm going to put my life right because I want to be united with the church, united with God, united with His Son. In oneness, shall we pray? Thank you for listening to today's message. If you like what you hear, hit the subscribe button. You'll receive automatic notifications and downloads when a new message is added to the podcast. Also, please leave a five-star review and take the opportunity to share stories, memories, and appreciation for James Sheets and how God used him to impact your life. If you'd like to know why and how this podcast got started, check out our first episode. Lastly, if you want to donate to help offset the cost of operating this podcast, you'll find a link to our PayPal account in the podcast description and email us at james.com sheets.podcast at gmail.com. Thank you for listening and remember to trust in God for today and for all of your tomorrows.